The Inside Vegas on the Sports Gaming Podcast Network is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. This week, MyBookie is offering up to $200 in free bets using the promo code SGP200. That's right, up to $200 in free bets with only a one-time rollover requirement. Promo code gets you there, SGP200. Play, win, and get paid at MyBookie.ag. We're also brought to you by Play Balto. The number one office pool hosting site in the world, Play Balto, is fully customizable, easy to manage, and most importantly, free. If that was enough, you can join Joe Montana's Pick'em. Yes, that Joe Montana. Go head-to-head with one of the GOATs for your chance to win $1,000. Go to sportsgamingpodcast.com and click Play Balto link. Sign up today. Welcome back in Inside Vegas. We are starting football season prep. Fantasy football on everyone's mind, office pools, work leagues, you name it, we got it for you. And we have a great guest to break down everything when it comes to season-long fantasy, a professional in the sport, um, say it for what it is, has won more money than anyone I've ever known in fantasy sports. And that is CJ Clutterbuck of arborpro.com catch him on twitter at the siege dfs he is just about everywhere right now doing content providing you with what you need to get into the season-long fantasy season for nfl we are going to break down into the best type of leagues the different types of leagues and, and kind of what goes into those how they differ draft strategies polarizing players his takes my takes everything and everything when it comes to fantasy football as well as the most polarizing guys that um you know maybe the the fantasy market is a little bit split on and as well as how you can use fantasy football providers dfs providers uh to get into the futures market and how they correlate um and one of the a great podcast that will certainly jumpstart your nfl handicapping for your season-long nfl needs again this is cj kallenbach of Arbor Pro DFS on Twitter at the Siege DFS. Fantasy football guru CJ is back to talk fantasy football. We're going big picture here. I know that my man has probably done about 20 podcast appearances talking about everyone wants to know his favorite sleepers, busts, rankings. Uh, and we're going to dive into that a little bit, but I think that it's it's good once, you know, Jesus, you, you turn the page to August and football becomes in the forefront of everyone's mind. So let's break down from a you know big picture perspective what you're looking for as far as a couple different things, man. But before we do that, I got to ask you, how's everything and how many drafts have you done to this point? Because I, I would say over under 20 and a half hit me. Are we, are we including best balls? Uh, yeah, of or course. Just like regular drafts. Nope. We're including oh, everything. Your, your total's way off. You're way <laughs> off on the total. I, I'm, I'm at 170 best balls alone. Oh my God. Every one of them with money at stake. Oh yeah, everything with money at stake. My man, sure. God bless. I you. might have auto drafted like twenty of them, so like maybe I did one hundred and fifty of those by hand. But that's just best balls. I mean, then there's everything else. Right. Well, let's let's start there, man. Different types of leagues. I think that it makes sense to uh, give a little bit of a background on kind of what leagues that you value the most. When you say best ball, I guess you know what you, you talked about those. You've done a bunch of those. You kind of explain to anyone who may not be familiar that's just into either the DFS side or the season side of fantasy or season long side of fantasy football and kind of the benefits of a best ball, what it encompasses, and why you like them so much. Yeah. So, uh, Christian, I'll ask you a question. What's your favorite part of uh, fantasy football? Uh, seeing people complain on Twitter that they sat somebody down on their bench who went off and how they lost their game by one point. 
Okay. I mean, that, that's very fair. That, that is, that is a lot of fun to troll, but like, if I was telling you, like, do you like drafting or do you like in season management more? What would you say? The draft is, it was, it, you know, God, I've kind of gotten out of the game since I've gotten so deep into the um, betting side. But the draft to me, when I was with my hometown friends, was a league we had running for God like 15 years, was, in my estimation, should have been at least a local holiday in my mind. And it was my, probably one of my top five favorite days of the year. So I would go with the draft. Right, exactly. And that's how everyone feels. Everyone loves the draft. And basically what best balls do is they let you draft without all the annoying in-season management. So they're basically you draft and then you're done. And then it takes the best possible scoring lineup every week. So there's no lineup decisions. There's no managing it. You draft and then you're done. And that's why they're just so popular because, you know, you're draft and then you're done. And it also helps you let you, you can do these in, you know, May, June, July, kind of as research and prep for, you know, the big drafts that come in late August, kind of get yourself familiarized with the player pool strategies instead of just like mock drafts, you know, where guys quit after like one round, you can really get, you know, even if it's a $5 best ball, you're getting live money in there every time and you're getting live reps. And as they say, practice makes perfect. And now uh, one of the sites out there draft has a million dollars to first place in the tournament, which is just insane. How many people are in that tournament? How many people are in that bad boy? Uh, let's He's see. I'd have to pull mate. it up. It's no. something around 160,000. Wow, that's crazy, man. Yeah, best ball to me is has been the one that's really kind of come up as, I don't want to say the new wave, but it's you know almost that third option of season-long DFS and now best ball. Do you really prefer that? Is that kind of your main stake? I know you do so many that we're going to break into um, when we talk about you know live drafts in Vegas, whether it be FFPC or, or the many different ones that are out there. Um, is there, you know, when we talk about auction drafts, best balls, keepers, you know, just new every, you know, kind of year, you know, season long year leagues that started new every single year, any type of, um, you know, let's say, you know, say market, but any type of fantasy football league from the season long perspective that you really gravitate towards? I mean, I, I'm a huge best ball fan. I, I enjoy it, especially the tournaments aspect of it, because there's a lot of strategy in there that people do quite poorly. One of the best examples is in the mill in this million dollar tournament. Um, you know, people were drafting early. And so Tyree Curley Hill went in the 11th and 12th rounds, right? So there are probably a couple hundred, maybe a thousand teams out there that have Tyree Hill in the 11th or 12th round. So the suspension news comes out, right? No suspension. And now people are taking him in the second round. Guys, you're <laughs> at a major disadvantage to everyone that took him in rounds 11 or 12. Like if you're going to yeah. play this tournament, just don't take Tyree Hill. There's a lot of other edges that you can get that those guys didn't get. Like, for example, late second round Melvin Gordon, like yes. that wasn't a thing in June or May, you know, late second round Joe Mixon, that wasn't a thing in May, right? And people just are like, oh, my rankings say take Tyreek Hill 13th overall without having any concept to what the strategy is behind it. No, nah, man, I, I was going to bring up those, top, those couple names and polarizing figures we'll do kind of at the end, but I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's something I didn't think of that when you're in these tournaments, when you're in almost, you know, big, almost, you know, dare I say, GPP fields, uh, you're looking at, you know, the market has to, you know, your market for a player has to react to what the market was prior or else you're at a, you know, like you said, a, a disadvantage. Let's swing this back around to what the majority of people are doing out there, and that's office pools. That is their new season long or keeper leagues out there. Let's talk about 
about that discussion. It's a great one to have. Um, you know, when we talk about keeper leagues, and again, I know you do so many of each one, keeper versus new ones, um, you know, strategies you've employed or anything that you see as the biggest differences from them, whether it be, you know, salaries and we'll break into auctions is kind of the last form of season before we break into the rest of it. Um, anyone that you prefer or anyone that you prefer, you know, more value in, whether it be dynasties or anything like that. I hate keeper leagues. I just think that they're really, I would have thought different. I, I, they're just boring to me. Like I just like dynasty leagues are cool. Where like you keep the whole roster like that I can get behind, but like the keep four guys, it's just like, you mean if I did all this good work and I have 10 good guys, now the rest of you get to catch up this next year. Like that's no fun. Mm -hmm. So like I I'm in no keeper leagues. Like I'm in just about everything else. I'm in no keeper leagues. Oh man. All right, let's flip it around to draft day, bro. This is going to be the number one thing that everyone is going to come to you for. Everyone wants to know strategies kind of, you can go one by one. I don't want you to get too long winded and, and I'll break it up for you. Specific questions, but let's talk the biggest lessons that you have learned, you know, in your fantasy career, which again has spent, you know, spun God, man, so much, uh, FAC, FC championships, DFS championships, season longs, and you don't know, say it for what it is. You've made a very, very good living making, you know, making DFS lineups and making, you know, fantasy football season long ones along the way what has kind of been the biggest things on draft day specifically that you have learned um that can kind of help people out there who maybe want to take their game to the next level um and kind of what you've done along the way for drafts this is a classic uh do as i say not as i do yep. and if i did it more i would do even better don't take on unnecessary risk and it, it that isn't as but cj like there's value in this guy he's upside Right. But like, for example, and, and this is going to probably be like maybe the hottest take of the entire show, right? Like I don't have Saquon Barkley one. I don't have Saquon Barkley two. I don't have Saquon Barkley three. I have him four. And the simply reason is that he has more risk than Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara and David Johnson. Like those three guys are in on really good offenses at the very worst. And two of them are going to be playoff contending teams. Saquon Barkley has Eli Manning, a terrible offensive line, a horrific wide receiver core that has already lost multiple guys and is going to get benched for Daniel Jones midway through the season. Please explain to me how that player doesn't have risk. You can tell me how great he is. You know how many great players have been bad with bad, bad quarterback play? Go look at Odell Beckham like when he had no quarterback play. Go look at Larry Fitzgerald when he had no quarterback play. Like you have to have a quarterback and if they play Daniel Jones six games, it's going to hurt Saquon Barkley. I don't care what you say. I could agree with that take. Um, you would know this more than me, but let's look at, you know, down through the line. Do you know who ran um, up against like a, let's say eight man box or the most stack box in the NFL over the past two years off the top of your head? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I just want to illustrate your point. Uh, I would guess it's either Zeke or David Johnson. Yeah, it was David Johnson. David Johnson and Pledge. David Johnson and Zeke. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. And so the the I guess the number one thing that somebody could say against that is they still got theirs. They were still what top five fantasy running backs, you know, suspensions and injuries aside. But when they played, even though they were doing that, they ran up against that. So is that something that you take into account as another reason why I mean, David Johnson wasn't a top five back last year? No, two he years was, ago, he whenever, wherever he oh. blew up, it, it was like he was the number one, uh, like stack back or against or next to Zeke or something like that. Right. But let's say you take um, Alvin Kamara over Saquon Barkley, right? And Saquon Barkley has a really good season. And, and, and Alvin Kamara does what you expect. He has a really good season. Is that going to win or lose you your league? Probably not. No. Right? 
If Saquon Barkley hits his floor, though, like David Johnson did last year, you're done. See you later. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. See you in 2020. Do you agree with the uh, quote that has famously been out there? You can't win drafts in the first two rounds, but you can lose them. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I mean, once in a blue moon, you can win it. Like if you got Christian McCaffrey early on in the second round, you probably won your league there. But like anyone who does like drafts in August, like he was going in the first round by then. So, yeah. Yeah, man. All right. Let's talk about the uh, let's talk about a couple different strategies and tell me your takes on them, whether they're just quote unquote mushed. You don't believe in them anymore. They were first to the market and now everyone's doing them. And so they're not really employable anymore. Tell me what you feel about the zero RB theory. So a lot of it just depends on what your room is. Right. So if people are pushing up running backs in your room and you can get, you know, with the back out of the first round, Julio and Odell. Like, great, I'm going zero RB, right? Those are guys I have graded in my mid first rounds. Like, we'll go zero RB. If people are pushing up wide receivers and I can get, you know, Joe Mixon and uh, Melvin Gordon, great, I'll do that too. Um, so it really just, I'm just going to try, I'm a value guy, but it's a value where I like the player. And that's the biggest mistake I've made in the past sometimes is what's like, I would value draft on guys I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones you just like. But you take the value on guys you like. Yeah, I used to do that too, man. I would be like, I hate this guy. I said I was going to stay away, but oh, now it's in the eighth round and he, I had him as a fourth rounder. I did that a lot too, man. I want to ask you when we, when we bookend zero RB and what that means, the true zero RB is basically no running backs through what, eight or 10, and then that's all you take, you know, 10 until the end. Do you subscribe to that or would you just go, you know, four or five rounds and then take value? I mean, it just depends on the situation. I, I'm not like there were, I've done it. A draft, and it's actually one of the things on an Arbor Pro where it's one of the drafts we have up there with one of our experts. Where I just I took like one running back in the first eight rounds because the wide receiver value kept being good, and I was like, I'll deal with running back later. Like they're going to eventually have to pivot to wide receivers, and I'll worry about running back at that point. Um, then one of my favorite strategies is like when I have a first three pick, though, it's like let me get a stud, and then I'll deal with running back in like rounds 11, 12, and 13. Like give me the one. You know, so I call it the modified zero RB. I, I really try to employ that when I can, when I'm in the first three. But again, like if, you know, Mike Evans falls back to me, I'm going to take Mike Evans in the second round. Do you apply that to the next theory I'm going to ask you about, which is, you know, streaming quarterbacks? What is the earliest you would ever take a quarterback in a season long draft? And uh, I, I know it's a little bit different in best ball, obviously, but for you know, everyone else are uh, playing regular leagues. Um, are you streaming or are you somebody who will take value? And, you know, because for me, when I was doing it, man, that was always my issue. Like I would always try to stream and then, you know, luck would fall to the fifth. And I'm like, oh, man. But then I felt forced to play him. So how do you kind of navigate that water? Yeah. So like the earliest I would take a quarterback is if Patrick Mahomes fell to round five, then I would, but that's, that, that's not going to happen. Yep. You know, it came close once he felt like to the late fourth and I was like, Oh, maybe I'll actually get him a home share, but no, like, right. So that's the earliest I would take him. Um, but if you're looking at, you know, realistically, I'm a guy who wants to stream the talented running, uh, the talented quarterbacks that haven't taken the leap yet. So last year that was Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know, this year, Jameis Winston, Kyler Murray, uh, those type of players, you know, in the ninth, 10th, 11th rounds, somewhere in that range. I'm afraid Kyler Murray is going to just destroy preseason offenses. And you, this you're going to laugh when I say eighth to ninth round on Kyler Murray. But that's a thing now. Mm-hmm. It might not be in three weeks, but that's where I kind of try to grab my high upside quarterbacks. I really don't want to be streaming between, you know, Sam Darnold and Nick Foles, if at all possible. 
That's what I was going to ask you. Let's start tying some players into this, man. You just talked about Kyler Murray. For guys who only want to stream quarterbacks, who are some guys that you're kind of looking at, um, you know, that either have the, just the nice week one matchup that you can drop and move on to, or at least has, you know, the one to two to three matchups or anything like that as we move towards draft season? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple guys that, like, you can draft in the streamer category that I wouldn't just be, like, ready to jump off of right away. And those would be kind of Jameis Winston, Josh Allen, Philip Rivers. Kirk, Kirk Cousins. I kind of would want to see like the first bad week before I would kind of just hop off that train because they all have top five quarterback upside. And the last thing you want to do is like have the guy week one, he crushes for you. You drop him, someone else picks him up and then the guy just crushes all season. So like yeah. that tier of quarterback is kind of the one I would kind of just hold on to and just kind of see how it goes before I, I wouldn't just, you know, automatically like, I don't care if he throws for four touchdowns. Best example. Like if he pulls a Ryan Fitzpatrick from last year, Right. I wouldn't drop any of those guys no matter what. Um, but, that, you know, that next tier of like Annie Dalton and Nick Foles and Sam Darnold, I honestly would have to look at the matchups for week one. I can't say I've done it. Yeah. Let's talk about that. That's that's the next question. man. we talk about quarterback streaming. What defenses are you looking to target to stream against for this upcoming year? Because Tampa. This- <laughs> Hold on, because I want to I want to preface this. This is my favorite conversation because NFL offseason right? We have what, three to four months. We have betting lines up. We have fantasy football in full swing. People spend three months of prep for NFL week one. And then all of a sudden your handicap shifts from three months to get ready for week one. You throw everything out week one, but nothing goes according to plan. And now you go on a five day, you know, a five day a week, uh, handicapping schedule rather than three months. And so, you know, I guess the question should be twofold. At what point do you start, you know, believing what you're seeing of the NFL season, which is, you know, 16 games less than that. When you talk about a fantasy, you know, including playoffs, um, you know, what do, when do you kind of throw out last year and what is kind of what you're looking for coming into this year, I guess is how I should have worded it. So one of my favorite things I do, and this is something that like people have laughed at me before for, but it's worked for me and I'll share it with everyone is I go through all the, all the schedules and I take the first six or seven weeks and I just assign, like, do I think this defense is good or this offense is bad or good? And I just write it down on a sheet. Because sometimes what you have you have is a situation where a team just happens to face like three really bad offenses, right? And it's like, oh, this defense is better than we thought. And it's like, well, no, they face three really bad offenses. And, you know, we're so focused on week to week to week, we forgot to go look at the big trick, the, you know, the forest through the trees. Mm-hmm. So I go and I just the first six weeks is I kind of map it out. And then so if my opinion on a team changes, I'm like, well, how does this match versus what I thought in August was going to happen. Oh, you know, they faced the Bengals, the Bills, and, you know, the Raiders. Like, hmm, everyone says this defense is better. Maybe they just played really three bad offenses, and that gives you an opportunity to take something different against the field. I love that, man. I love the contrarian takes as we move through different strategies. Um, those are the big ones that come to mind. Is there anything, again, you're so much more enthralled in the fantasy community's kind of trendy ways that, you know, the quote unquote experts pros are kind of approaching draft season that's either different or, or new techniques um, that you have seen, you know, either uh, other people employ or yourself when it comes to, you know, trying to stick to a plan? So in something like the best ball tournament and something like a nat and national competitions in, in these, you know, season long leagues where you play against hundreds and thousands of other teams, I've seen a lot more stacking, which is playing, getting your quarterback with a couple wide receivers or a wide receiver and a tight end on the same team. My biggest issue is when, when they happen naturally great, but I've seen a lot of people trying to force them and 
when you you have to finish like in the top like half a percent to you know win, right? Forcing anything is never going to be a good strategy. Um, so like I see guys, you know, push guys up two rounds to complete stacks, and I'm like, you know, you probably should just take the best player on the board. Like I feel like the best player on the board strategy has somehow like become contrarian now because everyone's got like all these new math models and. And I, don't be wrong, I have my own models and stuff too. But sometimes, like, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Like, yep. take the best player on the board. Don't overthink it. Best player on the board. I love that you brought that up because I want to ask you about positions. And a lot of people, if the best player on the board is, you know, a wide receiver and you have two, you know, stud wide receivers already, but you see a running back who you'd be, you know, the value isn't there. Do you, will you always just take best player or will you, you know, I don't want to say force it, but will you try to diversify a little bit and take that best available running back knowing you give up a little bit of value, but you have to round out your team? Yeah, at some point you do have to round out the team, right? And that's kind of where experience comes in and kind of doing these over and over again. And, you know, sometimes I, I test the I test the limits, right? Like, what if I take the one receiver that I'm like, ah, oh, that's kind of ridiculous. That's that guy's never going to play for you. You know, is, is that too far? Like, I definitely test the limits sometimes to kind of figure out like where the right balance is. But, you know, again, it just depends how big that gap is. You know, if we're talking, it's like you can take D.D. Westbrook or let me think of running back. I don't like all the ones coming off my head are the ones I do like in that range. Um, uh, Justice Cook? Hill. Oh, okay. Justice Hill. Right. So if you can choose between DD Westbrook or, you know, Justice Hill, like take DD Westbrook. He's a much better player. Yep. You know, but like I, it's, if the gap is a lot smaller then like, yeah, you know, you should take, you know, positions scarcity matters and filling out your roster matters, but it shouldn't, again, it's a, it's a very, balanced thing. I, I can't say there's a definitive rule or not. For sure, man. Let's talk research. Let's talk everything that goes into how, you know, constructing rankings. And again, I know you do such a great job of this for people over at Arbor Pro. Um, the two ones that have become so trendy, uh, two words, one is tears and the other, I guess it's three words, is drop off. You know, people always say, you, you know, you, different years depending, but you have to get, you know, the top three because the drop off from, you know, whatever it is you feel, uh, David Johnson to, uh, you know, whoever, Gurley is so big. And if you get outside that, you got to kind of adjust on the fly. Um, do you subscribe to that theory that, you know, tiers are, as long as you take somebody in those tiers and they're there, that you're going to be kind of with the team that you set out to get. And do you feel that there is kind of a draft position in that first round where that drop-off occurs for this upcoming 2019 season? After four, like there's a drop-off after the fourth pick, like in some order, what Christian is it? McCaffrey, come on. Oh, sorry. What is it? Tell me the drop-off after, uh, if, so after Christian McCaffrey, McCamara, DJ and Saquon. Like there's a drop off after that. And that includes Zeke just c considering his holdout. Like if he wasn't holding out, he probably would be the back end of that first tier. But right now, considering the holdout risk and all the talk and, you know, we'll know more after Tuesday because, you know, that's the day that he has to show up if he wants to get a year accrued to free agency. So we'll kind of see if he's actually going to kind of call the Cowboys bluff here. Um, so this could get outdated pretty quickly. But if he's if he's not there, I don't think you can take him in that top tier. So let's say you're on that tier, man. Let's say we'll, we'll, you know, let's say for, for argument's sake, Zeke shows up, right? So we'll call it the sixth pick instead of um, the fifth after that. What do you do once, you know, if you're, you obviously can't always control your draft position. What do you do when you're, you know, at such what you would call, you know, a blatant disadvantage after that, you know, first tier of drop off of running backs is gone. How do you kind of navigate that? Well, first you complain on Twitter and you hate <laughs> yes. your life and you're just like the draft order was rigged. After you kind of get over that, because it, it's a pretty, 
being sixth, seventh, or eighth this year is a pretty big disadvantage. Um, you know, at that point, you have to decide kind of. If I looked at rankings right now, tell me why though, because at six, seven, eight in theory, and you could flip, um, obviously, you know, basically Zeke and Devontae Adams, but you could still leave, you know, round one at those positions with Hopkins, Adams, Beckham, Gurley, Mixon, Julio, Michael Thomas, uh, Juju, Kelsey, on down through the line. Tell me why you think that is such a big uh, disadvantage. Well, because there's, first of all, there's a couple guys on that list I would never draft, like no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a there's a few guys on our do not draft list there um, in that first round. I think that the gap between like you, you listed off, right, like 10 names after that. And then there's another drop off after that. And so the problem is that when you draft sixth or seventh, you know, in the 12 team league, you're not going to get the You're not going to get two of those guys. Like if you get two of those guys, OK, cool. Life is good. But the problem is, like, if you draft six or seven, sometimes you only end up with one of that tier and then one of the next tier. And I hate using the word tier. It's not really kind of how I approach it, but it kind of is in those first couple rounds. Mm-hmm. It's like if you only end up with like one of the second tier and one of the third tier, like you're at a pretty big disadvantage to the guys on the first end, you know, that have like the stud. And then the guys on the back that kind of got two of that second tier. For sure, man. Uh, let's talk in season, man. Fab, uh, waiver wire pickups. I mean, you cannot, like I said, I've, I firmly do believe that you really can't, you don't win or lose a, a league, uh, at your draft day. Um, if you're vigilant, if whether it's fab or whether it's waivers, first of all, I'm going to ask you this: should everyone out there be in season longs, be playing fab? Should they be playing waivers? What do you prefer? What are professionals out there? What are their type of leagues geared towards when it comes to that? And kind of in season, you know, I, I guess it depends on your answer to that to ask the second part, but you know, what can people do to really be on top of kind of their waiver priorities, uh, or their fabs, uh, spending when these, you know, inevitable hotshot guys out of nowhere come in and, and light leagues on fire. Yeah. So first of all, every league should be fab waivers are a joke. I agree. Like enough. The person that it, we're, we're, we are a capitalist country. <laughs> like, if you want to pay the most, you should get the player, right? That, that, you know, and that's also the fairest way. Like if you want to play the, if you want to pay the most, you get them right. Shouldn't be like, Oh, I lost the first week and my team was so good because you know, my quarterback got hurt in the first minute. Now I get to add three guys to my bench that are really good. Like, come on, that's pretty ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That That's not fair. So um, I, I, every, everything, every high stakes or industry league I'm in right now is fab. Uh, I don't think I have any, like my home leagues waivers and I complain about it every year. It's also why I don't do very well in said home league. Yep. Um, but, um, I, I think everything should be fab for sure. Anything else in season that people should really be monitoring? And the one that's going to come back to this is where you stand on handcuffs, man. It's a hot button topic in the, uh, you know, fantasy industry. Uh, most people that I've, you know, really respect their opinion when it comes to high stakes fantasy football, you know, they, it depends who it is and every situation's a little bit unique, but they don't, they're not willing to tie up a roster spot with that they could, you know, get ceiling or upside on uh, for the security until, you know, they know where they stand in the, um, you know, standings of their leagues, rankings, and then, you know, for security during the playoffs, during stretches that really matter, that's when they'll kind of flip that script and, and you know, give that up for the security of handcuffs. Where do you fall on that topic? So it, it depends if we're talking a pure handcuff or a handcuff that has value, right? So, you know, handcuffs that have independent value, uh, that would be um, Tony Pollard of Dallas. That would be Latavius Murray of New Orleans. That would be, well, it was Edo Smith until this committee thing came up. I, I'm skeptical, uh, but I guess I can't use him. Carlos Hyde, right? Guys who have independent value without, you know, the starter going down. I think those are the guys you should, you should try to target. 
Now, I don't think you necessarily need to target them as handcuffs if you own Damian Williams. Well, first of all, don't own Damian Williams. But if you do own Damian Williams, you don't need to um, attach Carlos Hyde to him. Uh, it's kind of just draft the best players. Um, handcuffing kind of will take care of itself. Uh, but again, like if you're in a big competition like an FFPC or an NFFC, handcuffing makes no sense. Again, you have to finish at the very top and handcuffs are are raising floor na- moves by nature. They're not raising ceilings. Definitely, man. I want to ask you that. <clears throat> Players on the same teams, you were talking about people forcing stacks, uh, but let's illustrate your point talking about handcuffs. You know, if somebody goes out there and gets Sony Michelle and they have James White, you know, as, you know, on, left on the board a couple of rounds later or before or reversed or whatever, um, I mean, most rankings have them pretty much side by side that I've seen. You know, is that, do you kind of stay away from that? Um, you know, inadvertent stacking, do you not care at all? Or will you, you know, are you not afraid to put a couple of players on the same team on your roster? I mean, there's certain situations that just they're not normally going to be in the same position, though. Like if I want to win a, you know, either first place in my league or first place in, you know, an overall competition, I need my players to hit ceiling outcomes, right? You need as many players to hit outcomes as possible. It tell me the scenario where Sony Michelle and James White both hit a ceiling outcome. Yeah, in that's the why same I said they were, they were kind of back to back, but I'm sure there's some examples I can't think of. That, that, that is a good example because, like, I've seen people do that. Like they have picks at the turn, they grab them both, and it's like, both of those guys can't hit their ceiling. Like that's just not going to happen. Right. You know, and you've got Damian Harris there and all that. Like it's a, you know, that's a pretty messy situation to count on someone hitting their ceiling on. Now, if they start falling into rounds, you know, seven, eight, that's fine. Like, you know, you can grab one, but again, you need to be deciding. You can't be hedging your bets. You need to kind of just go and make a decision one way or another. Like it's Sony Michelle's team. It's Damian Harris's team. It's James White's team. And on that particular roster, and by the way, if you're playing multiple leagues, you can make a different decision on each league. But like in one team, you need to make one decision. I completely agree with you, man. Let's talk about this as the one type of, of league that we did not talk about and how your strategies would differ, and that is auction. Number one, I have always heard that the kind of, um, I mean, you know my my love affair for all things backroom in Las Vegas, and I've always heard that the biggest kind of, biggest stakes in the world are all done in auction leagues, and you hear about celebrity leagues, all that type of stuff. It's all, or at least should be in my estimation, so everyone has a fair chance and strategy comes into it. Uh, it's all done via auction leagues where you bid on players and high bid wins, and it's you know a very long affair. But to me, it's the most even playing field. It gets rid of draft, um, you know, order issues. It gets rid of absolutely everything. So do you find yourself kind of gravitating towards more auctions than, you know, the normal type of stuff? I actually play a lot more snakes than auctions, to be honest. Um, and that and a lot of that is due to like the NFSC format where you it's like Kentucky Derby style. Right. So, you know, you get drafted out of a, like, you know, you get to pick your slot first. That helps. Right. So you can rank the slots in the order you want them. You know, just unless you happen to draw your last pick choice, like you're most likely going to get a pick that you're OK with. So I actually do like the the, the strategy of snake a little bit more than auction um, that and that's, you know, the auctions, you know, the higher stake auction stuff is really tough. You know, um, there are a lot of really good players. I think that in snake rooms, there are a lot more mistakes made. Yep. So I think there's a bigger edge there than the auction rooms. I think if you're playing, you know, a 1500 or an 1800 or a $2,000 auction, you kind of know what you're doing and you're not going to make mistakes. Not, not so much in the snake format. I lied. I want to ask you about one more type of league and it's only available in Vegas and it's going to be a great segue point to kind of, uh, you know, the different types available to people that maybe they haven't even realized or understood. You ever seen the bare knuckle leagues in Vegas? I'm sure you have, but no, actually I have no idea what you're talking about. All right, man. So I, 
believe it's FFPC. I'm 90%, and if I'm, if I'm wrong, I apologize to whoever it is that runs this out in Vegas. Bare knuckle leagues mean you go into a room, either 10 or 12 other people, you have a draft board, but you cannot bring any notes, you cannot bring your phone, you can't bring anything, and you draft off of fucking memory and memory I alone. I think it's FFPC. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that's FFPC. Actually, now that, I, now that you bring it up, like I, I mean, those are pretty cool. The problem is that um, when the alcohol starts flowing, that gets really tough really quick. I actually was sitting in the room when they were finishing one up last year. Have you? Um, what, so, what were your thoughts on it? Because I think it's the most gnarly thing in the world, and like that to me is like the degen of degen. Or God bless you, people with photographic memory could clean up, you know, clean up everybody in that room. I think. I mean, God, God bless, man. That that's that's one two step. Like, there, there's that's one step too far for me. I mean, it sounds awesome until you're in the room and someone that you like goes like six rounds later, and you're just like, how the hell did I forget player? You know, pick a player's name. Yeah. That that sounds like you're just asking to be tilted over and be over like, and over. Again. That should be the premise of like bringing down the house to fantasy football, where MIT guys just go in there and clean up in fantasy football season <laughs> leagues, dude. <laughs> They definitely would in those type of leagues. That's for sure. Yeah, man. All right. So let's talk about those. Obviously those are a couple of exotic leagues. Anything else you have seen that is well out of the norm you've either seen or been a part of before we kind of transition into, you know, the recreational, uh, season long office work leagues into kind of what is available to people in Las Vegas, uh, when it comes to season long fantasy football. I can't think of anything else, but I'm sure I'll think of something after the show, but that's okay. That's how it goes. All right, man. So let's, let's talk about it, bro. Obviously you have FFPC. You have, you know, for anyone that's not familiar, not been to Vegas, you know, for me, man, when I first moved out here, it was eye opening. where like, I didn't realize that, you know, underworld is definitely the wrong thing to, to lead off with and say, but I didn't realize kind of how many, you know, people out there, I think the biggest, you know, almost hurdle is, you know, finding a league. If you're not in a hometown league or you're not in a work league for, you know, low stakes, I didn't kind of realize that as much as Vegas has always, you know, been the hub of gambling, it almost became the you know, almost the hub of fantasy football. I didn't realize how many people flocked here uh, to get in, you know, fantasy football season long because of people that they did not know. Um, you know, obviously FFPC is a big one. What are some other ones that if somebody really wants to kind of try their hand at this and take their fantasy football season long game to the next level that are available to them in the desert in Vegas? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm with you. Right. And I was in the DFS world and even I didn't understand the scale of what the hell was going on until I started our pro like no idea. Didn't understand the scale of it at all. So I totally agree with you. Like, you know, it feels like there's a boom waiting to happen as soon as the hell is people figure out what the hell is going on. Um, FFPC is the is one of the main ones. Uh, it's probably the biggest one. The, the the I would call it downside is that, you know, not every state. And also tight end premium, which definitely adds a huge kind of um, element of it makes it a little bit different for sure. 1.5 um, per uh, PPR, right? For tight ends is different than FFPC yeah. or whatever else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, I think it, it might, even, yeah, I think it's just why I, I can't play that in Missouri. So I don't remember the scoring uh, off the top of my head, but I, it's, I know it's one and a half times reception. I think that's it. Um, so, you know, you get Kelsey and Ertz going in first round in that kind of format. Um, the one where I play the most volume is probably the NFFC. Uh, that's the national fantasy championships. And if, again, if anybody has any interest in this, please hit me up. I can get you some discounts and referral codes. I got all the goodies, uh, for NFFC. Um, their big differentiation, uh, is third round reversal. Uh, so, um, instead of it going, you know, your traditional snake, right? You go one to 12, 12 to one, one to 12, the third round it reverses. So if you get stuck with the pick with the 12th pick, you get picks 12, you get picks 13, and then you get pick 25. Uh, so that's the big difference at NFFC. 
uh, is you get the third round reversal, which is pretty cool because sometimes if you're at the back end, that is a bit of a disadvantage. Do you prefer the third round reversal to not? I enjoy it. I kind of enjoy it because it makes more draft slots desirable. Yep. Right. So it, it you know, it makes picks 10, 11, 12, um, more desirable. And that, it, you know, it adds definitely a strategy element to it as well. You know, instead of the, the player in the first spot getting, you know, three of the top 26 players, it's the guy on the back end getting three of the top 26, 27. It definitely is a more fair way to snake draft uh, for sure. Um, and, you know, they have auctions and they've got they've got some, you know, they have best ball type formats. They've got kind of uh, modified waiver formats. They've got something called the cut line, which is kind of my favorite. It's like three waiver periods the entire year and then you're done. Mm-hmm. And it's a best ball scoring, so there's no roster construction. So like that's kind of cool um, until you make the playoffs like week 10. So that's kind of cool. Um, let's see. There's the FFPC, as you mentioned, the FFWC, RT Sports, Draft, of course. I think that's all of them. Someone's yeah. going to get really mad at me for forgetting them. <laughs> yeah, get, get your sponsorships, Bull Ben. Uh, no, but you know, say somebody wants to you know, look into these type of leagues, price points, all that type of stuff. Is there everything from $100 leagues to $10,000 leagues? What is kind of available to people and how do they go about kind of getting some more information on this before I ask you uh, about kind of you know, your venture and what's next in kind of terms of investing in fantasy football players as well? Yeah. So I I would say, first of all, like check out all the sites, nffc.com, ffpc.com. I would just encourage you, if you're really interested in this, hit me up. I've got promo codes and discounts for just about everything for your first league. So if you want to hop in, like, please hit me up at the siege DFS. There's no reason for you guys to pay more money than you need to. Um, But the other thing too, is it ranges from a hundred to $15,000. $15,000. So you, there, there is literally a price point for everything. And there are national competitions. And then, you know, there are standard like high stakes, you know, 12 team leagues, uh, 15 team leagues like those exist as well. Um, so, you know, where you just have to, it's just like your home league, except you're playing for a whole lot of money. So they have basically all the formats you could possibly ever imagine. Awesome, man. I want to ask you about some polarizing um, figures. Actually, no, before we do that, let's do this, man. You have gone into the venture of something that I feel, you know me, man, I love innovation and I love what's unique and I love what's different. And you've really kind of put all of these things together in one place. What is kind of this venture of investing in teams of fantasy football, investing in managers, people, you know, get shares and essentially become uh, ownerships of, uh, you know, fantasy football players or fantasy football players uh, around the world? Um, so, I mean, that, that's definitely one of the things that, you know, it, it's out there. Um, it's definitely something that's available. Um, it's really not mainstream yet, you know, in terms of just like investing in guys and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I have a partner. Well, I did have, a, I used to have a partner. I now I'm branching out on my own. It's mm-hmm. a whole new world yep. um, where, uh, you know, you can definitely like buy shares of people's teams. So like, you know, of my 150 best ball teams or, you know, 150 million makers in DFS and that type of thing. Um, it's out there for sure. Um, you know, it's kind of more of a niche market really at this point. It's not really kind of something that's mainstream. There's a couple sites out there that do it. Um, I kind of just do it for friends and fam, like basically friends, like I guess family would be involved if they wanted to, but kind of just friends that kind of want the sweat. Um, but you know, there's, there's sites out there. Like if you wanted to invest in people you didn't know, um, (laughs) yep. But you know, I think it, it's, it's an incredible really, it's concept, really, though, man. I really do. Because- oh, it's an incredible, it's an incredible concept for sure, and um, it is nice. So you know, if you don't have the time to do it and whatnot, um, you know, and it's it's nice too. Sometimes, like if you know, if you want to take the next step, like 
you know, it's like poker backing. I mean, I'm I was, sure that's, that's that was my next question is, you know, did that concept kind of come from this boom of, you know, I'll say staking, but buying percentages of poker players, or was that kind of just independent of how that idea kind of grew? No, that's how it came. It's like, you know, a lot of people from poker moved to DFS in this high stakes season long. And they're like, you know, this, this was a cool concept back in the day. You know, if you want to take the leap and whatnot, it's the best way to do it. Um, I just, I'm not really sure that, the, I mean, I kind of, I'm still working on kind of a way to do it myself, but there really isn't like a great site out there for it yet in terms of like buying pieces and tracking it. And, you know, the contract language is tough, obviously, as we're seeing in certain situations right now. Yep. Um, so you got to be really careful and that's why you have to do it right. Um, you know, I hope one day to do it myself, but you know, legal is still kind of, uh, in the way. Yeah, no, I agree, man. And uh, from the gambling side, that's something I'm kind of attacking from different, uh, different things as well. So that's, that's why I brought it up. Cause I think it's an incredible concept. I think oh, it's, kind it's of, so much fun. I wish I could just do it. I wish I could yeah. just be like, you know, Hey, I've got 150, you know, best balls, you know, 1.1, 1.2 markup, like fire away. Yeah. Like that'd be fun for me. Like, that'd be nice. I could just fire a whole lot more stuff. Um, you know, I mean, sometimes, uh, sometimes I'm limited by time and sometimes it's just like, you really want to fire more dollars at this. <laughs> you know, you still got the whole DFS season ahead and chasing live finals. Is this really what you want to do? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be fun, but there's really not a great way to do it for season long yet. Unfortunately, yeah, I, I, I think there will be someday though. It's that day is coming once people figure out again, like that all these big leagues are out there where there's like 500,000, 200,000, 250,000 at first place. Like once people realize there's a big payday at the end. It, someone's going to do it if I can't figure out how to do it first. Yeah, no, it's the poker staking. It's it, it's everything. That's why I wanted you to talk about it a little bit. Um, last thing before we get into kind of polarizing figures here, I want to talk about the correlation. Sports Gambling Podcast, man, of course, we're going to ask you how, you know, for me, when I look at the futures market, I look at two, basically for everyone that has a little bit of a unique take when it comes to a player, um, you know, yourself obviously included in that. Um, I really look towards the fantasy community when I'm handicapping NFL futures and it's because that's what they do. You know, that's what you guys do is look at, you know, projected player performance and what better correlation, you know, than to futures in that. Do you find yourself kind of using your DFS or I'm sorry, I keep saying DFS cause I'm used to having you on for that, but your fantasy um, acumen to project your futures um, kind of positions or is it the opposite where you're using your futures to project your season long, uh, you know, performance? Definitely fantasy to, to, to futures. I, that's definitely the way I do it. Um, I'm looking, I I'm looking at, you know, who are, who are offenses that and coaching staffs that I trust, um, that I want to be a piece of. And then kind of, once you kind of pick those teams, you're kind of like, well, how are they not going to do, you know, reach certain performance thresholds, right? Is the defense really that bad is, you know, um, the offensive line, not that good. Are they an injury away? Do they not have depth? So I definitely do it from the fantasy projection. I do my fantasy projections first and then kind of look at where the lines are based off of those. Where should people go to look at to kind of blend the two worlds, right? Say in their season long, whether it be their futures, um, you know, what are some kind of the best tools at your disposal um, that you look for to kind of go out there and look and see, you know, what people are, are looking at, you know, and expecting from this player and apply it to what the betting market is telling them. And if it's way off and, you know, example, uh, we're going to break into this, but I know you're happen to be very down on a guy like Todd Gurley. Um, you know, does that lend itself to just avoiding him in season long drafts or are you somebody that would also take that to, you know, shorting his rushing prop for the year? I mean, I think his rushing prop number is, it, it's a really fishy number to begin with. Like the Vegas is daring you to bet the over <laughs> on that number. Or at least uh, the last number. I use some, the you can use somebody I, else. I know there's a weird example. I just knew you were down on him. 
no, it, it's uh, but like, yeah, there's certainly situations where I, I will bet unders based on per, uh, what I'm thinking. But I try to give it more of futures in terms of like who are teams and players that like the mainstream public and honestly, the people setting these lines at the books don't know about that have, you know, value. Right. So like, everyone knows who Kyler Murray is and everyone knows who like the top guys are. But like, who are the guys like the next level down that I realize are like going to have breakout seasons or in dynamic spots that. You know, the books is just don't like last year, for example. I mean, I know you were on this one as well. Uh, I remember when it came up on the on um, Wales pod, we like immediately stopped the pod to go bet it. It was like the Christian McCaffrey rushing yards total last year was something like 750 or some yeah, nonsense like that. that. Yep. And it was just like I could ju- I literally should just invest like if he survives seven weeks, he's going to win this bet. Like if he survives six weeks, he's going to win this bet. It was, you know, it's the biggest bet I've ever made to this day. Mm-hmm. And I, um. So like, you know, there's certainly ones like that where it's just like, you know, I'm going to beat, I'm just be way ahead. Now, how someone else didn't beat me to that market, I have no idea. But, um, you know, there's certainly situations where you can be ahead of the market by having done your fantasy research first. Do you feel this is, this is a polarizing topic and shout out to Matt Peral because he makes me, not makes me, but he makes me want to ask every single guest out there. Do you feel that fantasy football is a form of investing or do you feel it is gambling or a game of skill? I mean, it's definitely a game of skill, right? It's got a ton of luck involved, just like most of games of skill, right? There's absolutely luck. But in terms of like, I, I think the best way to portray this is through best balls, right? So I have got 160, as I mentioned, right? I view that as a stock. Like I have portfolios, like I've got players, you know, Shares some players, players at 50%. Yeah. yeah, I got some at 50, some at 40, some at 30, some at 20, some at 10, you know, some at five, right? Um, I, I treat that definitely more as a portfolio and I'm paying attention to it actively. Like, do I have enough of, you know, sleeper A, a sleeper B, um, you know, and I looked through it, you know, the other week I realized I didn't have enough of uh, Nikhil Harry. I was like, why do I only have 15% Nikhil Harry? He's going to be the number two on the Patriots. Oh, shit. <laughs> and this was like a week before training camp. And I fired like 70 drafts. And I think I took him in like 55 because I just like had to catch up to get myself to a number where it's like, OK, like if he blows up during camp, I'm good still. Yep. Um, so de- it definitely is more, it's definitely more portfolio based. The more teams you play, you know, if you're playing one or two teams, you know, it's not quite as portfolio based, right? Got it, man. All right, bro. I want to rapid fire before I get you out of here. A couple names that are a little bit polarizing. People quite, don't quite know what to do with. And I want just the, not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind, but I want your take on them as to, uh, overall, you can do it as a, obviously, you know, the fantasy twist, but how it relates to sports betting as well. Let's start with the guy we mentioned, Todd Gurley. Why in the world would somebody not want Gurley who's ranked ninth after the season he had? And oh my God, he's in McVay's offense. Why are you down on him? Uh, that knee injury, the, the knee injury and the Rams can talk about as much confidence as they want. You look at their offseason moves. That's one of the best things to do for fantasy and ignore, ignore everything they say in the offseason. Just look at the roster moves because they're not going to lie on the roster moves. They're going to make the roster the way they need it to make it. Right. And so what do the Rams do at running back? They had six picks in the draft and they traded their first two picks that they had up to get Daryl Henderson out of Memphis. Then they matched an offer sheet on De- from Detroit on Malcolm Brown, who's their third running back. Would you really be investing all this capital, the running back position, if you're telling me Todd Nurley's knee is fine and he's going to make it through the whole season? Yep. I, I don't think so. I get it. Um, and, you know, the, the knee injury is bad and, you know, he. There was a quote that he came out and said, like, I'll see how it feels when I get out there. Uh, how about you telling me <laughs> that the knee feels good? 
and lying. <laughs> I'll take that. I just don't think, you know, again, he's a guy who's got a lot of risk, right? All the big money weeks are weeks 14 to 16. I just can't. First of all, if the Rams are good, why are they playing him in weeks 14 to 16? They've already made the playoffs and no reason to screw it up and get him hurt, right? And if they're bad, why would you play him? And if they're mediocre, like, okay, maybe he plays then if he's still healthy. Yep. You know, I talked about minimizing risk. There's just so many ways where Todd Gurley can be bad and not pay off his price and very few where he pays it off. All right, next one. Damian Williams, currently a basically consensus no. rankings has him at number 13. But, but CJ, all, the, all Andy Reid does is turn out fantasy, you know, top five fantasy running backs. Why not? Because anyone he puts in there can be a top five running back. And he's already fed up with Damian Williams. Damian Williams has missed almost all of practices. Andy Reid came out and said, like, he's missing a lot of work. You know, and normally when people are hurt, coaches really don't complain about that in the media a whole lot. Um, you know, they get annoyed about it behind closed doors, but they don't come out and basically blast the guy in the media. And he's like, you know, Carlos Hyde and Darwin Thompson have been good. This is a guy that's had 185 career carries and everyone's just projecting him for 240 to 250 touches like it's going to be no problem. There's a reason why this guy couldn't start on the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> who is that? Andy Reid's system's good, but you have to be available. Who is that kid out of Kansas that beat him out? I forget who it was. He's not in the league anymore. Oh, I don't remember, but it was someone oh really bad. God. And it's just like, it's going to, I know he's me. fast, but he's just not durable. Oh my God. It's going to bother me, man. Not David Cobb. That was Minnesota. Um, Miami, I'm going to literally Google this in the middle of this podcast because it's going to bother me if I don't. Daniel Thomas beat him out. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Uh, my take, Juju, uh, top 10, top five upside wide receiver. And it goes back to that one, you know, two words, target share. AB gone, I guess in theory, you roll coverage to him. He could almost, you know, I could see why people would want to short that stock in the futures market. Uh, to me, I mean, I, I read a stat out there. He was tackled inside the five or the two, uh, seven times. And all seven of those touchdowns went to James Conner. What do you feel about Juju? Yeah, Juju's my wide receiver three. I'm totally with you. Uh, Juju's a guy I want. He's actually a guy I don't have enough of yet. Uh, that was one of the guys I was looking at the other day, and I went, you know, probably need to find a way to get more Juju. Just see, keeps happening that like someone I like more happens to keep being on the board, but I, I need to force in some Juju. All right, Le'Veon Bell, number 20. People would look at that and see what he's done in the past as, you know, RB1A in fantasy football, number 20 on the Jets. Not a lot of weapons. You know, somebody would argue he'll get all the share and there's a, you know, a version where he becomes David Johnson when David Johnson was the number one fantasy running back. Why is he so low? The offensive line for, for the Jets was a huge issue this offseason and people didn't know what his conditioning is. Um, he was a guy I was off. And the last week I, I'm really sitting back here and I don't think I have a single bell share right now. And I'm really sitting here going, I think I have to change that. Like they got Khalil out of retirement. They traded for another lineman today. Um, Sam Donald's going to improve. Um, he was really good last year. You know, can bell make it through the whole season? I think is the biggest question mark on bell. Uh, but I think I do. I can't just have zero of him anymore. I do have to get some exposure to him. I think like if I was playing one league, would I want, Le'Veon Bell on it? No. I, I think that would be my, my strong answer would be no, I don't. But I don't think that like his floor outcome is as likely as maybe it was a couple weeks ago. Why is Adam Thielen the consensus 30th ranked wide receiver? My favorite player in the prop market every single year last year was Thielen over yards. Oh like, no, don't like, do it. He was like 12, do it. 12 straight over a hundred. Tell me why. Uh, Chad BB, I think is going to play that slot this year. I, I think that the offense, I don't think they're going to play him anywhere near as much in the slot. Um, I like the offense. I think it's gonna be a lot more, um, balanced this year. 
But in terms of Adam Thielen, I think that's it, it's going to really hurt his production. I think he's going to be the one that suffers the most as the team gets better. I like it, man. Uh, team I am probably the highest on as I look at their NFL offseason as I begin to transition from baseball into the NFL is, wait for it, it's the Green Bay Packers, man, with what? LaFleur oh, was, God, no. Oh, no. I love it. Tell why? me, tell me. All right, hear me out. God. Nope, tell me why not first. This is the same coach that couldn't figure out that Derrick Henry was good at football and was better than Deion Lewis. This is the same coach that literally couldn't keep Marcus Mariota straight upright. And that's a mobile quarterback. This is the guy who's running like 1990 sets. His talent evaluation is awful. Um, he's trying to make Aaron Rodgers completely change his game in year like 15 of his career. Um, he's never been good at any spot he's been other than the one year under Sean McVay. Like the Titans offense last year was pathetic. Like how the hell did this guy get a promotion? The Titans off. All right, here's my rebuttal. The Titans offense was pathetic because of Mike Malarkey and thunder and lightning and trying to bring a 1990s offense. Here's my rebuff. He also brought Matt Ryan to an MVP year. He also innovated the offense. Uh, you know, you're, give, you're giving him credit for Matt Ryan. Come on. I'm giving him some credit for it. He also, in my estimation, pretty much, you know, co-innovated that, or at least, you know, has the playbook of McVay's offense. You're taking away the toxic uh, situation that was, um, you know, the coaching staff and Aaron Rodgers, McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. Here's, here's the truth. Remember this situation um, with McVay and LaFerth for the first time when nobody knew what that offense was going to look like. Rams won 46 to nine. And, you know, you saw this last year when Nagy brought the new offense to Green Bay, they were up, what, 20 to nothing or 17 nothing in the first half. Uh, 17 nothing in the first half. Green Bay had the best offseason, and they are now, in my opinion, the second um, second fastest defense in the NFL behind Dallas. I mean, you look at they didn't know what to do. Trubisky ran all over them. They couldn't set the edge. Now you bring in uh, Zadarius Smith. You bring in Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary. You have uh, two safeties who run sub four four forties. I think more than the fantasy aspect, I love what they did on defense. And they basically added seven starters uh, through the draft. I think that this is an offense that if it's done right, yeah, for sure. There's a, there's a, a low uh, floor here. If he is it going to say hand the ball off 60 times, but I don't think that, you know, Aaron Rodgers and that leadership in that locker room would stand for it is my Connor argument to that yeah but my my issue is the play action like aaron Rodgers has never done that much play action and matt lafer's offense is very play action heavy uh the packers offensive line isn't good enough to keep him up upright for 16 games if they really try to do play action uh he's already got bad backs he's had collarbone issues um i, I think there's a big risk of him getting to the season um I, and i I've, i think you're giving you're giving lafleur a pass on last year's terrible titans offense that was his baby. You know how much and I hate the Titans, first of all, and their offense. I know. So, so, so I don't understand how you like the Packers. I just I think really that you were trolling me. No, no. I just think that he was handcuffed. And I think that the coaching staff that was ahead of him did not uh, let him do anything. And he was, you know, chained to the ground. How do you not play Derrick Henry? Come on. I don't care if you like, you don't I like. I think that's the, Mike Malarkey. calls are bad. It's not my, you're getting, you see, you're just giving Matt LaFleur a pass. All right. All right. All you know, right. I think you're just giving up a pass. I like I, I have the Packers. I think I have like literally the least amount of exposure to of any team. I think I have more like Bengals and Dolphins exposure than I do Packers right now in fantasy. Well, let's tie this up, man. Devonte Adams, fifth ranked uh, PPR no. 2019. Tell me why not when they were talking about Aaron Rodgers, you know, coming outward and said, you know, I want to get him million tar i forgot what the number was but a trillion targets and this is he's going to be this and that and they're going to force feed him by all uh narrative out there so tell me why not because every defense in that division is good and they're going to take away Devonte adams 
The Lions defense is good. Let's double cover them. The ba- the Bears defense is good. They'll double cover them. The Vikings defense is they're going to make Aaron Rodgers throw to anyone else not named Devontae Adams, and they're going to struggle because he will refuse to do so. So that quote was exactly one of those reasons why I was like, nope, don't want to be on the Packers because he doesn't get it. I like it. All right, last one. Cleveland Browns, Beckham Landry. Landry has been a PPR dream. All he does is get 11 balls for 90 yards, and hopefully you get a touchdown and cap that off. How do they split up this workload? How do you feel about Mayfield? How do you feel about the running game? How do you feel about their offseason as a whole? That was, uh, you know what, if we're being honest, kind of reminds me of the quote-unquote dream team where the, uh, the one year with the Philadelphia Eagles getting everyone and nothing worked out. I kind of have the same feeling outside of Odell. Yes, Beckham. tell me. I love Odell. I think Odell's just going to get fed targets, and I think he's a beast, and he's going to be fine. Would that not but piss Landry off, or he's fine because it's his boy? I, I don't think – I think Landry's going to have a little bit of issues this year. I think the Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt thing's going to be a problem. Their offensive line isn't quite as good. I think the kitchen and um, – I can't think of the offensive coordinators now. He did. He ran Tampa last year, and he's a fantasy industry darling, and I, don't, I think he's super overrated. Um not Freddie Kitchens at the Browns. He came from Tampa. Who was the Tampa offensive coordinator last year? Now I have to look this up because it's going to drive me nuts. Um, uh, Bob Willie? No. No, that was last year. Uh, no. That was the offensive line coach. Um, uh, Todd Munkin? Todd Munkin. Yeah, Todd Munkin. Everyone's a Munkin fan, and I'm just like, yeah. Like, we're going to see Bruce Arians make that offense 100 times better this year. Like, why couldn't Munkin do it? Um... I kind of think they're overrated. Uh, I I think that people are kind of expecting too much. I think they will be a nice 500 team, maybe slightly above 500 team, but I don't think they're going to make the playoffs like everyone thinks. And I know this sounds good to you because you know, I know you're the Browns hater and I was always the guy that was like, but there's value on the Browns, Christian. There's value. Exactly. My man, last one. I keep saying this, but I, I I got, I I got a, I got a team. I want to petition to the viewers too, as a team. Is it the Cardinals? Yes. Yep. I was going to ask you about Kyler Murray. So take the floor. Um, first of all, the first bet I made when I landed in New Jersey for a conference was Kyler Murray to win the MVP at 101. Not rookie uh, of the year, MVP. Is, here's how this goes, right? If this offense works, why is it not Patrick Mahomes 2.0? Right? Patrick Mahomes is basically a rookie. If this offense does what everyone thinks the ceiling is, right? What's the narrative going to be after week one? Like Detroit's a slow team. Let's say Arizona comes out and puts up 31 points in a 31 to three lead. What's the headline on ESPN uh, Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt? Uh, Kyla Murray's the best thing since sliced bread. Great. Okay. You know, another week two, another great performance. They slightly lose, right? If they get to eight and eight, nine and seven, and he's performing every week, the media narrative on Kyler Murray is going to be great. It's be Kyler Murray. He's awesome. He's taking this terrible team to the next level. Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray. You're going to hear it for 16 weeks. You know, what's also going to hear it for 16 weeks, the voters, right? Um, you know, people expect Patrick Mahomes to be as good as better than last year. But if he regresses, like if people don't give MVPs for the second straight year to a guy who like doesn't perform as well as the year before. No, that's the yeah. hardest thing in sports to do is win an, an NFL MVP because I've, I have fought people on this tooth and nail baseball amongst many other things that they're behind on. They are in the 1930s when it comes to MVP, Mike Trout should not be minus 800 over Alex Bregman as the second, um, you know, quote unquote runner up or odds on favorite LeBron. If the NBA <clears throat> did this the same way that the, that, um, they do it, 
LeBron would have won 10 straight MVPs every single year he brought this to, uh, brought Cleveland to the finals. The NFL does it the same way the NBA does, which is the right way, which is who had the biggest breakout and who meant the most to the upstart of a team. Right. And if that team goes nine and seven and look, I don't think the playoffs are out of the question. I know their win total is five. It's one of the first bets I'm going to make when I get to Las Vegas in a couple of weeks. Uh, I think that's way too low. People are that Seattle team is terrible. Like that's two wins for Arizona right there before they start. Um, I, I think that, you know, if the narrative on Kyler Murray at a hundred to one, like he's going to be a national attention if it works, you know, it's a hundred to one, right? Like, I think there's more than a 1% chance that like Arizona and the air raid breaks the NFL in year one. Chip Kelly's Alphonse in year one broke the NFL. They didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. And he didn't even have a mobile quarterback. Yeah. And like, you have to remember people who say like, if I hear one more time that Cliff Kingsbury's offense did not work in the sec or it wouldn't work in the sec. Go back to 2012 Texas Tech with Johnny Manziel. That was Cliff Kingsbury's offense. It led the league in rushing, passing, total yards, and points scored in the SEC. I can't imagine how that is the definition of didn't work. But apparently (laughs) it is to the mass majority of people out there, or they forget that that was a Cliff Kingsbury offense. And Kyler Murray is better than Johnny Manziel ever was. Oh, you're, you're, you're punching me in the stomach, but yeah, you're probably right. So there's just so much upside in that team and so much media narrative. I I just love Kyler Murray. I think the defense is a little better than people think too. Um, And so I'm, I'm all, I love Arizona. Everything, Arizona, everything is a big, if it's not, if it's not Kyler, Jameis Winston, 80 to one similar situation, Tampa, Bruce Arians, that offense is going to have so many weapons. That defense is terrible. So like, it would just have to be pure stats, like 6,000 passing yards for Jameis Winston. Like, the stats will just have to be absurd, but the environment is, is kind of set up for it. Yeah, man. And as I look right now, uh, my buggy.ag, Arizona Cardinals to make the playoffs. Yes, at nine to one. Um, I don't oh, think they have I rookie, love that. They don't have rookie of the year up right now. They just have MVP. I just want to confirm this, see if it's moved on you from what you were talking about. We have, oh man, I got to scroll down. That's a good sign. It means his odds are fat. Oh man, he is down there. Oh yeah, he's, he's a ways. Oh man, where is he? Hold on. Murray. Yeah, you got to do that. It's always good when you have to do the type. When you have I to know, type right? the guy in the, in the search button to find him, that's a great sign. Yeah, 100 to 1 right now as it stands. I just, you're telling me there isn't like a 5% chance that the air raid breaks the NFL? Not only that, Come but on. with the secondary market, you buy that ticket in cash, sell it on PropSwap week three, four. I think you're making a pretty penny, man. Yeah, I, 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 I probably will have, I probably have to get some tickets on in cat. I have, I have electronically, but I'll have to go get some cash tickets when we're, I'm in Vegas in a couple weeks. My man, we're going to get you out of here. I cannot thank you enough. I know we ran long, but this is something near and dear to my heart as I came up in the DFS, DFS industry again, man. I want to give you one more time. Give me your biggest hot take for the upcoming 2019, 2020 NFL fantasy football season. Boy, uh, Joe, Joe Mixon outscores Ezekiel Elliott if he plays 16 games. My man, biggest bust of the upcoming season. Biggest bust. Oh, boy. There's a couple really good ones. Uh, oh, boy. George Kittle. Mm. Uh, biggest breakout. Chris Godwin. But he's being drafted as such. People, people understand. But it's still probably too low. Season's end. Jimmy G finishes as what quarterback? On the bench? Is that a hot take? <laughs> We've talked about this. Is that why I you know. brought it up? Yeah, well, I, 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 I'm just a little bit bitter last year. I got 100 to 1. Vegas moved it to 30 to 1, and it was a uh, paperweight at the end of the day. 
I, I think he, I there's, it's an, I'm not saying it's a probable outcome, but there's a non-zero chance that he's benched by week five. Ooh. Like they could, they could go zero and four with that schedule. Like it's, that's that week two at Bengals game. I can tell you already now. I'm gonna like it's gonna be a massive bet on the Bengals for me, no matter what happens week one. Ugh, I think the Bengals are gonna be the worst team in the NFL, bro. How can you like the Packers with with Lafleur and not the Bengals with Zach Taylor? One it's has the same thing. Yeah, that's fine. But you saw what coaching staff does without personnel. You're looking at Andy Dalton. You're looking out without an AJ Green. What's wrong with Andy? What's, what's wrong with Andy Dalton? Andy oh. Dalton's perfectly league average. Joe Mixon's awesome. Uh, Tyler Boyd's really good. Tyler Eifer's back. Got Chris AJ Green will be back after in like week four or five. Look, the offensive line's an issue, but they had drafted a really good blocking tight end. Who's in um, defense? I, I, Who's playing defense? I think I think they'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying is overs. I'm just saying I think the defense is fine. Like I, it's not like Tampa or Seattle. It's not that bad. Yeah, it's got some players. Like I'm not, and that division. Like if I hear one more time Lamar Jackson can throw a football, I just am going to lose my mind. Like everyone wants to hype up the Ravens and it's just like, stop. What, did anyone like forget what happened in January? I feel like everyone forgot the, the football Ravens, in January. The Ravens to me um, are, are doing an, uh, a Madden NFL draft with Lamar Jackson running the running gun air raid, but his accuracy is 49 and they don't, they, they transition their whole offensive philosophy overnight, but they don't have a quarterback to match it. I'm very confused by the Ravens, but I think it's polarizing. And if it works, it'll be great. But if there's ceiling is low, I, I, I'm I sorry, the, the floor is low. The, the Bengals, I just think, are really underrated. That division is sneaky, a dumpster fire. Uh, like, even the Browns, like, are not, like, that great. Like, quietly, the Bengals could go, like, 10 and 6 and finish second in that division just and go, like, 5 and 1 in the division and just, you know, make the playoffs because everyone else in the division was so bad. CJ Kleinbach spitting out hot takes about the Cincinnati Bengals. I love it, man. Tell people where they can get at you on Twitter at the Siege DFS. Tell people about Arbor Pro, how they can get into your DFS brain, your season long brain or anything else people can find you to get more of them. Yeah. So first of all, I want to echo one more time. Like if you're considering playing an FF or NFFC or draft or an FFPC, if this sounds interesting, hit me up. Like it takes me five seconds to give you all free money. Like, and the sites are begging me to give away the free money. So like, if you get just to give you guys discounts, the joint. So like, I encourage you, please, 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 please hit Is me there up. there rollovers? Is there anything that people need to know about? No, it's just like, it's just like, it's just like, you know, like if you're, it's like $25 off a team, yep, 50 it. bucks off a team. Like your first, like it's, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty awesome stuff. Um, so ourpro.com, as you mentioned, uh, we've got, um, a lot of our, like we have guys that play in those 15 K leagues out there that do our rankings, uh, the, a fade list. And it's not just, you know, your like standard fade list. It's like fade George Kittle fade, you know, Saquon Barkley. Um, and we have, we're going to post last year's results. Like we have last year's fade list. Um, and you'll see how incredibly accurate it is. It's scary accurate how accurate this fade list is. Uh, we've got podcasts. We do draft casts where we kind of go through, like I do a draft on air and we kind of talk about through players, situations, roster construction, all that um, waivers. We have a start sit article. Um, we just got a ton of stuff on the season long side. DFS products coming out, you know, in the next few days, uh, but it's gonna be more of the same, you know, rankings, podcasts, uh, projections. We spent a lot of time on our projections this off season and uh, really looking forward to those um, as well. Uh, arborpro.com and uh, all the discount codes I think are on the site. But if you're interested, hit me up. I can make sure they are. 
My man, I know it's a busy time for you. Thank you so much for spending about an hour with me talking all things kind of big picture uh, and going deep into depth into this, the season-long fantasy world and, and where people can get, um, you know, take that next step, bro. So can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you're doing so much content. This is kind of your time of year gearing up for it. And like you said, man, the drafts are the best part of it and the research that goes into it behind you are second to none in men. So again, at the Siege DFS, T-H-E-S-E-I-G-E DFS is where you can find CJ, uh, where he'll basically pretty much post everything as the hub of where everything is on social media in 2019, bro. So again, man, thanks. Thank you so much and take care. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. See you in Vegas. One of the brightest minds in the fantasy world. Special thanks again to CJ Cullenbach for coming on, talking everything fantasy football. Hope you guys found that as informative as I did. And again, guys, my bookie, something new this week for you. Usually promo code SGP50 is going to get you a 50% deposit bonus this week only. Make your first deposit at my bookie. You get up to $200 in free bets with just a one-time rollover. We're also brought to you by Play Balto. If you are sick and tired of paying to set up your office pool, giving away some of that prize money, Play Balto is your answer where the pros play all for free pickums survivor pools everything and everything play balto has you covered head on over to sportsgamingpodcast.com click the play balto banner and get started running your own pool and of course go head to head with joe montana for a chance to win one thousand dollars